Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in the book of Revelation, chapter 6. This part I don't enjoy as much because we were in heaven for two chapters, and now we're back here. And unfortunately, in one sense, it's part of God's work. The judgment of God is about to unfold. In chapter 6, pardon me, left to stay in heaven, but the truth is, unless we turn to God, that's not where we're going. And so we need to hear the full truth of God as a warning that we need Him. And and so this morning, I'm actually just going to read one. We're going to read one verse this morning in honor of our great God. And I never was good at tests. But this is like a crash course on the tribulation. And uh, so pray, you know, we talk about great miracles. One great miracle today might be this preacher not rambling on and on and on with a 13-point sermon. And so let's read, let's stand in God's honor and read Revelation 6, verse 1. And pray and jump into the message. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come, let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the fact, Lord, that you saw us and you called us. And Father, I'm grateful that you enabled me to come to you. Father, there are many who, Lord, will rebel against you. And Father, as we begin to look at the opening of these seals, Father, we see the horrible truth of what is to come, Lord. And yet, you do provide a way of escape. And Father, as we look at the, Father, what is going to happen, may we remember, Lord, who is the hope through it all. And may this message still point us back to the one who is hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, may you speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, first question here. What exactly is the tribulation? Well, I'm just going to use the words here of uh, one person wrote a commentary. (laughs) He says, the unparalleled human suffering, demonic boldness, cosmic disturbance, Jewish awakening, gospel preaching, and global crisis. Another guy said it's going to be hell on earth for seven years. As it begins to unfold. Jesus spoke about the tribulation in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. As he spoke about the second half of the tribulation, he called it the great tribulation. The first part of the tribulation, those first three and a half years, he described as birth pains. Now, uh, being a man, I'm not going to pretend like I totally understand the whole birth pain thing or or what that feels like, but uh, we've had four kids, and uh, looking at it, I think I can give an assessment. It hurts. And as those birth pains begin to open up, it will be a time of suffering as God's judgment is on the horizon. Question number two. When does the tribulation begin? Well, that's a little bit like asking, when does the rapture begin? You see, 
Only Jesus truly knows those answers. Matter of fact, as you look through history, there have been many who have tried to give us exact dates of when the rapture would occur. Uh, Here's just a few that uh, happened in my days. Uh, 1976, 1988. I remember 88 reasons why the rapture is going to happen in 1988. Uh, 1989, 1994, uh, the year 2000, 2006. Uh, There have been so many dates that have been given. In 1917, uh, there was a report that was given saying that surely the tribulations around the corner and this great war that is upon us is a sign of the tribulation of the end times of God. Twenty-five years later, it was said the rise of Hitler was certainly evidence of the tribulation before us. And yet... As I look around us, I don't believe we've entered into the tribulation because I'm not the smartest guy, but at least I hope the rapture hasn't happened yet. Because if it has, I'm in trouble. But I have some news for you guys too. You're in trouble too. And so as far as giving you an exact prediction of when it's coming, I'm not going to try to pretend like I'm that smart uh, Tell me, I get the smart thing. The older I get, it seems like the the less smart I feel. Uh, Number three, what's the purpose of the tribulation? I just want to share a few here. One is to get Israel ready for the kingdom. Uh, Here's a verse out of Zechariah. It's Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be down and perish. One-third will be left in it. This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver, test them like gold. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. And there are a number of passages in the Old Testament that speak about the fact it will be a time of refining, of purification for Israel to prepare them. A second reason of the purpose of the tribulation is to bring just punishment. Look, we love to talk about the love of God. We love to talk about the forgiveness of sin. But the truth of the matter is, there's something we're being forgiven of. There's something we're being delivered from. There is a something we're being rescued from. And that's just the truth. A matter of fact, as you look in the book of Revelation... As this unfolds, we see wars, we see famine, we see hell, we see fire, fireballs from heaven, oceans polluted, falling stars, darkness, sores on the worshipers of the Antichrist, seas turned to blood, scorching heat. Another purpose of the tribulation is to reveal God's sovereignty over creation. Remember Pharaoh in Egypt stood against God and he said, I will not let the Hebrews go. And God sent forth ten plagues to get the attention of Pharaoh. Now, on a much broader scale, God is going to send forth His judgment to make it clear that He is the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, that He is Almighty God and that He is in charge. Another purpose of the tribulation is also to reveal the character and corruption of Satan. Oh, he is one smooth 
suave person. He doesn't carry that pitchfork and have that pointy tail and those little horns on his head. No, he's good looking. And he can sway you. But he's going to be shown for what he really is. He hates God. And he hates us because God loves us. And we are the apple of his creation. And he wants to strike out against that creation. Can you imagine the depth of his hate as the judgment of God plunges ahead? Uh, turn me to Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. As the time gets shorter, his temper gets hotter. And his fury goes forth with greater intensity. Another purpose of the tribulation is to redeem of host a host of believers from around the world. In Revelation chapter 7, it talks about these believers who come from every nation, tribe, people, and, and every possible language. And they have been redeemed. And they're singing as they emerge from the horrors of the tribulation. And they are prepared to serve Christ and enjoy His kingdom forever. One final purpose here is to revive Israel for her Messiah. Romans 11, verse 26, talks about the remnant of Israel. All Israel will be saved, will be revived, reconstituted, redeemed at the end of the tribulation. Zechariah 12, 9 and 10. That is the redeemed nation of Israel will look upon him whom they pierced. All right, got to move on here. Question number four. Did the prophets say anything about it? Well, there's a simple answer to that. Yes. They said quite a bit about it. Paul spoke of in the book of Romans uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This Romans 16, 25 and 26. It's called a mystery. A secret that's kept long of the ages but to be revealed. And as we look through the scriptures, the prophet Joel speaks of the conversion of Israel. Cosmic disturbances. Amos refers to the divine wrath and the Gentile world power. Isaiah speaks of the regal appearance of Christ. Zechariah speaks of the salvation of the Gentiles and the appearance of Christ. Daniel and Zechariah are key prophets who inform us of these truths, the length of the tribulation, the coming of Satan's prince, the Antichrist, the desecration of the temple, the coming world empire, and the conclusion of the tribulation by the appearance of Christ. So yes, the prophets say quite a bit about this tribulation. What about Jesus? Did he say anything about the tribulation? Oh, yeah. Matthew chapter 24. Some have called a little apocalypse. Because you can compare Matthew 24 side by side with Revelation chapter 6. To see a picture of the tribulation. Uh, it's like a commentary on the seven seals. Matter of fact, uh, working through this just quickly, Matthew 24, 4 and 5, the Lord warns of false Christ who will come to lead many astray. And this parallels perfectly with the opening of that first seal where the spirit of the Antichrist will gallop through the world deceiving many. Then the Lord refers in uh, 
chapter 24, verses 6, and the first part of verse 7, that there will be wars and rumors of wars, that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And this corresponds with the second seal in Revelation 6, 4, that talks about people attacking and slaying one another, and that there will be a longing for peace, but peace will not be found. Then the Lord goes on in verse 7, the second part of verse 7 of Matthew 24, to speak about famine, which corresponds with the third seal in Revelation 6, 5, and 6. Food is scarce. It calls to fortune. It's hard to attain food. So there is this picture that corresponds where Jesus talks about this coming tribulation. The first three and a half years speak of the opening of the first four seals. In the second three and a half years, there is an intensifying of this tribulation as the final three seals are opened. So how are you doing on this crash course? (laughs) Let's move on. Number six, why did Christ warn the disciples about the tribulation? Surely He knew it wouldn't come at the point of their lifetime. But His warning to them is a warning not just to them. It is a warning to all generations that followed unto our generation. That sin is a serious matter. That it must be dealt with. That judgment is coming. And that it will occur. But there is a Savior who has come to take care of that issue of sin. Yes, there are consequences for sin. And when the tribulation does come, and for those who are left behind, and those who come to faith, they'll have the Scripture They'll have this book of Revelation as they're able to see what will unfold. And what a powerful truth that is. Number seven, is unleashing the tribulation on one generation fair treatment? (laughs) Well, in one sense, because of the intensity of judgment and the rebellion of people, it's a horrible thing. But in another sense, they will have a road map laid before them of the truth, of the power, of the Scripture, as God brings forth His truth. And the other issue is for those who have already died, those who have already entered eternity, they're in a place called Hades, a place of suffering. They don't have it so good. It is a a place of intensity of judgment that awaits them. As we look at this God's judgment is tribulation on the earth. It's just a minor display of those who will spend eternity apart from God. All of eternity. Number eight. How long will the tribulation last? Seven years. The first section, as I previously mentioned in uh, Matthew 24, 19 through 21, is referred to by our Lord as birth pains as it opens up. And this entire tribulation is a series of three judgments, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls that will unfold and grow in intensity. Number nine, what tribulation, pain, and terror unfolds first? 
the first four seals reveal the coming of the four horsemen. The first horseman rides a white horse, representing deception of the Antichrist. The second rider appears on a red horse, representing the destructiveness of global war. The third horseman is on a black horse, representing the devastation of famine. The fourth rider gallops on a pale horse throughout the world, prefiguring disease and death of untold millions of people. Revelation 6-8 tells us a fourth of the world's population will die during that judgment. Hey, that would be right now 1.87 billion people. Imagine 60 to 70 million Americans dying in 24 months. This is about 3 million people dying every month or 100,000 dying every single day. Wow. And I happen to look down my watch. I know I'm way behind here. But let me, uh, if you can listen fast, I'll, no, I don't want to do that to you. Number 10, will anyone survive the tribulation? It's going to be short, cut short, according to Jesus, Matthew 24, 22, for the sake of the elect. It will be a horrible, horrible time. But there will be those who survive. And there will be those who enter in and are part of that great thousand year reign with Christ upon the earth. Number 11. What do all the horrors of the tribulation reveal? (laughs) Primarily that God keeps His promises. And His covenants are true and binding. As He's promised, there will be a a kingdom. There will be a judgment. There will be Israel's redemption. There will be an earthly reign. Number 12. Can unbelievers accept Christ during the tribulation? Short answer again, yes. Yes. As we open up the scriptures as we go through this, we will see this occur as we see during uh, a time of worship. There are martyrs from every tribe and nation found before the throne of heaven. Um, If those who rejected Christ during the church age can accept Christ during the rapture after they realize they've been left behind. And that occur. Well, in Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 9-12, it talks about a strong delusion sent by God upon those who follow the lie of the Antichrist. They're, this delusion is so strong, they find themselves not wanting to turn to hear the truth, and their minds and their hearts are closed, even though there could be such an opportunity. Um, one last thing here on this particular point. Um... We don't know the exact time that this tribulation will occur. We know it will last seven years. Uh, We know there are some that talk about there will be one final delivery of reaching every nation, every place, every people with the gospel as that is something, as if it is something that is merely what the church does. I am grateful to God that His truth is not dependent on how competent the church is. Man, I I just be embarrassed. Sometimes, uh, or be honest, sometimes I feel embarrassed as far as my witness goes. But I want to bring out a point here that it's not going to be just dependent upon the competence of the church in those last times. Look with me, uh, Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. 
He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. Hey, I'm not trying to knock anybody's uh, witness in seeking the gospel. Let me tell you what's going to happen this the end of time. It's not just a matter of the competence of the church. There will be an angel of God, a messenger of God, and he will fly around the earth and he will share the gospel. He will give the opportunity to those who may seemingly have been missed by the church to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet still many will not believe. They will walk away. They will rebel against God and choose not to find his forgiveness. All right, but the last one, say, thank God. Number 13, finally, why should we study the end times? Why should we study prophecy at length? Well, let me just throw out some of these. Uh, number one, it, it tells us, 2 Corinthians 3.16, all Scripture's profitable. This is part of Scripture. There's lessons God wants us to learn right here. Uh, secondly, it's a unique promise. He promises a special blessing on those who study this book. As you open up the book of Revelation. Third, we study because it's special place that is given in the gospel as well. We are told of God's coming judgment, but that God wants to rescue you. Next, studying prophecy also motivates evangelism. When we see the horrors, they're coming. It motivates us to say, you can miss it. You don't have to go through it. You don't have to. Uh, another one Studying prophecy yet to be fulfilled actually settles anxiety. Remember John 14, where Jesus said he'd make a mansion, many rooms, place for us when he leaves, and he will come back and bring us to where he is. It settles anxiety. It reminds us that we're headed home. Next, studying prophecy also provides the ultimate comfort. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, he starts out and he talks about comfort one another with these words. What are the words he's talking about? Man, that's a great scripture. Jesus is coming back. Coming down in that cloud. We're headed up to meet him. And whew, man, it just gives me holy goosebumps thinking about all that. And that, it's a comfort that is provided. Next, we should study prophecy because it exalts the supremacy of Christ. Hey, two simple words for this point Christ wins. And you know what that means? It means we win. I love it. Uh, as it says uh, in the scriptures, First uh, John 5, 4, And the one who is born of God is victorious over the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Okay, one more motive. <laughs> we study pros, uh, prophecy because it reveals the faithfulness of our God. He's faithful. He's the one to trust. He's the one in which to place our full hope. All right, this is a lot of stuff I've tried to scratch in our time. The tribulation is going to happen. God has said it will come. And we need to, to study in the book to move our hearts toward Him. Where's your heart? Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Are you ready to meet Him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your holy word. 
Father, you know where we are. Holy Spirit, I ask that you move among us and that we would obey you. To come to this altar if you call us to pray. To make a decision you are leading us to make right where we are. Uh, Maybe to share that publicly. Something that is you have laid upon the heart. A decision to be made uh, to come forward before the church. Father, I don't know what you're up to. I just want you to be able to fulfill your will this morning in our lives. And so I ask, oh God, that you would move in this time we call invitation or response. As we stand to sing, may we say yes to your call. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.